Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. So Donico Callan, of course, who doesn't drink, yeah, yes. uh, told Des Cal, listen, get Tommy up, he'd love to sing a song. <laughs> <laughs> and went out onto stage and Des then goes, and Tommy Bo wants to sing a song. It was a sort of like, you wish a hole would just open up, but I kind of thought, listen, I'm going to go for it. I'm still a bit tipsy here. So that's where What About Her Eyes and the Black Velvet Band came out. It was just like from hero to zero in my mind. I was just, oh, what have I done? And I remember coming off the stage in the mansion house and Mary McAleese was there and she gave me a big hug and she goes, thank God you can run fast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, it was a massive year for rugby um, with Ireland in the Rugby World Cup and everything and all the stories that we saw emanating from France. And, you know, so many rugby players, uh, in particular retired rugby players, seem to have great stories to tell. There's so much crack and mischief going on behind the scenes in the changing rooms. And when they're off on tour uh, and then you and I are then lucky enough to hear all about it, when a sufficient amount of time has passed, I suppose, uh, for them to be feel safe to tell their stories and share their stories. Tommy Bowe is one of those great former rugby internationals who also happens to be a great storyteller so I was delighted when he agreed to join me as a special guest here on the Mario Rosenstock podcast I got some juicy behind the scenes stories and gossip which I think you'll enjoy but we also talk about his childhood growing up in a border county when the British army very much were still a presence there how he very nearly did not become a professional rugby player his new career as a TV presenter known for regular hilarious gaffes Ten siblings, anybody? Do you remember that one? He tells me about that one. And his successful clothing and footwear company, which has just turned ten years old. You're in for a real treat this week on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Nobody knew what was going on. We got down into the hotel lobby, walked into the bar, and there was literally about 50 pints just oh. lined up in the bar. And Ian McGeekin just said, listen, guys, we're not together for a very long period of time. I feel the best way for you to get to know your neighbours, get to know people who you've had fights and conflicts on the pitch with, is to have a pint with them. So we end up getting absolutely rad arse. <laughs> I said, well, listen, I, we will catch up soon and uh, thanks so much for talking to us. So I turned around and I looked at the auto queue and like, you know, your eyes, you're kind of like, that was tough. And I looked at the auto queue and I said, coming up next, uh, we're talking to an influencer who sells farts in a jar. <laughs> <laughs> you share a moment with these guys that very few other people, even your family, your, your wife or partner, they're they're a part of it but they're not and I think that that's what the sanctuary of a change room is and that's that looking back on it is still the bit that I kind of miss the most can I do it please do can I do it Tommy please do you know what it is oh I do it has to be hit me with it it must be come on Tommy Bo (laughs) oh man I've missed that right my full chat with the great Tommy Bo coming up in just a couple of minutes but first it's comedy time And listen, it must be nearing the end of the year now, you know, I mean, it's Christmas is just around the corner. I wonder what some of our podcasting friends are doing, like David McWilliams. Okay, David, final podcast of the year. Absolutely. Happy Christmas, John. Yeah, you too. Ready to go? Yeah, all set, John. Are we doing retail, isn't it? Retail. Okay, let's go. Time's up, John. Okay, 10 
How are you doing? David here with John. A happy Christmas, John. It's Christmas time. Uh, have you done your Christmas shopping yet, David? <laughs> <laughs> Great question, John. Yeah. Uh, no, of course, Christmas comes in Q4, yeah. uh, the most important time for retailing in Ireland. So many sectors uh, rely on Q4. really does. I remember December 8th was, it was a big um, date in our diary back in the day. Yeah, I remember it well, John. Yeah, December yeah. 8th, of course, <laughs> yes. when the cool cheese came up but, to Dublin. Do you remember but, that, John? <laughs> With their big fucking ignorant oh, culture heads on them. Remember the big do? dopey what do you do? muck savages, John? Yeah. What? Stop <laughs> it. Just... I'd remember it well, John. Oh, no. We'd nick a couple of naggins of Smirnoff. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the off license in Dorky and leg it in on the 7A. Bunk onto the bus, we would. And then we'd pickpocket the bleeding ignorant culties. You're crazy. <laughs> and then kick the bollocks out of them on Henry yeah. Street. Remember that, Johnny? <laughs> Then we'd fence off the gear to Rats Buckley, do you remember? And fucking spend it all on Nosebag. Off our tits we were for the bleeding Christmas, Johnny boy. John? John? Happy Christmas, John. Mm. (laughs) And thanks to David McWilliams, um, the podcast of which I'm a big fan, for providing the inspiration for those sketches. And many of you have been in touch during the year um, saying you enjoyed the David McWilliams parodies. Um, And of course, we have uh, sketches, unique sketches on the Mario Rosenstock podcast every week. And uh, so tune in to listen to those. And thank you for listening during the year. Thank you for listening to the podcast, by the way, which has been flying in recent weeks um, with guests like Al Porter and Michal Martin and Pascal Donoghue and uh, Dr. Tony Bates. Uh, etc. Great reaction to all those guests and um, if you haven't listened to them I would urge you to scroll back and listen to some of them. But listen, uh, Tommy Bow is waiting in the wings, something he's been well used to all his career so let's not keep him waiting any longer. It turns out that myself and Tommy have a little bit in common. His dad is from Waterford and I'm from Waterford so we kick things off there boy. And listen, I never knew that your father, uh, you, there's a Waterford connection. Oh, yes. My dad's Waterford. My mum's Kildare. Yeah, because you know Waterford, you know um, Bode is a strong oh, yeah, Waterford huge. name. huge. That's all. My God. There's another Tommy Bow down there and he gets all slagging. Yeah, there <laughs> is another me, Tommy yeah. Bow. I, yeah. I, I actually think I've heard of him because I'm from Waterford. Oh, are you? Yeah. You see, this is why I brought it up. Oh, yeah, cool. So I was brought up in Waterford. Oh, yeah. And there's no. a Bow Street in Waterford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went to Waterpark. Did you? Well, I went and did a talk down in Waterpark Rugby Club there a couple of years ago and all the bowls came out. And I swear, I was meant to do a talk and... I was guest speaker, which I don't do very often. Actually, I don't do it at all. It was half one in the morning before they asked me to get up and speak. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? No one wants to hear me talk at this time of the night. So, uh, yeah, we had a great night. The bows yeah. are great fun. Yeah, I know we have yeah, great time. I don't of, get to see them too often. There's a lot often, of bows down There's a lot of bows, yeah, yeah. yeah. You so, don't find them anywhere else. Can you do the accent? Uh, uh, the Waterford. Waterford accent, No. It's not great now. Not great. Yeah, no. have to, we have to work at that. It's I'm one not of the great it's, at accents. It's one of the I worst. It's one of the hardest accents. Is it? Um, because it's very guttural. So it's like, what are you talking about, boy? Yeah. Oh, is it? Your man Tommy War. Tommy War. Who the fuck do you think you are, boy? Uh, yeah? That's not Waterford, Mario. Sorry, sure. you haven't got that. At well, obviously, all, I'm from Waterford. It has to be Waterford. <laughs> you do you don't, kick, do you you don't sound very Waterford. Do you want to kick in the fucking hole, boy? That's it. There you got it. That's fucking Waterford, boy. John Mullane, boy. I love me county, boy. That's the bows right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, so you know it. But it's very hard to do because um, it's very hard to do because it is actually a very distinctive accent. I love it. And like the thing is with the bows is like there's very few names that go with a bow. So I only worked this out when I had a son because 
bow lends itself to like you've um, Harry Bow, obviously the sweets. Yeah. You've uh, Richard would be Dicky Bow. Yeah. You have Les Lesbo. Yeah. You have uh, <laughs> Strongbow. Column Colombo. You have uh, Strongbow. Yeah. You have uh, my wife is Lucy. So she's now Elbow. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's quite. So you end up having a couple of very strict names. So that's yeah. why in like my dad is like Paul the pilot and there's Paul the duck farmer yeah. and Paul the like the butcher. There's yeah. all the load of Pauls. No, that's a new one. Well done. Yeah, yeah that's a new one to your collection. Because um, you've, so, you've obviously thought about this. Oh, you know, I have, yeah. No, like well you have to, because yeah. and like uh, my wife's dad is called Bill, so she was kind of going, I'd love, you know, yeah. to, but Bilbo. Bilbo Baggins no, is not great either. For short Gar. Garbo. Garbo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like quite funny, but also leads to a lot of um yeah. a lot of bullying. God. Bobo. Bobo, that's what I'm gonna call my next Bo- dog. Like a clown. Like B E A U Bobo. 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 Nice Bobo. That's lovely. Um so your mother so your father so did your father go to school in Waterford? He went Water Park as well. Yeah, and then he went up to Newbridge. What's his name? Paul. Paul Bow. Yeah. So uh Paul Paul Pee-bow. Paul the duck farmer Bow. Mm. So um he went water park all like his, his brother as well they all and then they went up to Newbridge. So dad yeah. actually was in the last team to win a schools cup in Newbridge College. Okay. And go. how did how do we know Tommy Bow from Monaghan then? So what's what's the Monaghan connection? Uh he finished college in UCD and went to work. The only job he could get was in Silver Hill Duckling, which is based in Emmyvale, right on the border, okay. which is like the Wagyu beef of duck. Yeah. So he came there to work for Silver Hill and then my mum trained as a physio. She's from Kildare. Only job she could get as a as a, to work in hospitals was actually in Craig Avon Hospital in the north. Uh, but she didn't want to live in the north. She, she lived the closest to it, which was Emmyvale mm. in County Monaghan mm. and commuted over the border every day. Mm. And this is back when they had the big barracks and yeah, everything okay. else. And yeah, yeah. we used to have to sit in the back of the car, go through the barracks and you'd have the guns and be looking at you and you get out and they'd check the car and all sorts. So How would you, would crazy you be nervous times. during those times? No, you're like a boy. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Like you see so, these guys with their guns. I was yeah. kind of like... Class, yeah, oh, but of course, those. when you were growing up, it was still it was coming to the end of the the. Yeah, so it was nineteen ninety five, wasn't yeah. that the? Uh, that was the peace process. Yeah. But no, like still, like what age was I? I was probably eleven, twelve when that happened. Mm. So I w- and we were. I was well used to going across mm. the border. Mm. So. Mm. Um, it was kind of just naturally you just you were like if you grow up with that you don't really know any difference yeah. and I never saw any trouble. You're brilliantly known for being famous and wonderful rugby player and actually uh, it was only a few weeks ago two weeks ago I think I was uh, looking at this thing you were probably aware of it yourself um, that Warren Gatland picked you Mm. as in his all time Lions team yeah and I thought that was interesting because Brian O'Driscoll didn't make the team I know (laughs) (laughs) no Brian O'Driscoll didn't make the team and of course I understand the criteria because what he said at the end Gatland, Gatland said was I picked the players according to what the peak that they were at. Absolutely. And yeah. of course, O'Driscoll's peak was 01 to uh, 10. Yes. And and your peak was a bit later. Well, I was, so I was with Warren in the 2009 tour, 2013 tour. So they were the two. So it was South Africa, which was probably one of the best rugby experiences of my life. Yeah. The second test 
against South Africa was the most physical, brutal rugby match I've ever been a part of. And the closest I've ever seen to that was Ireland and South Africa in their last World Cup. Like the closeness, how it came down to the last few minutes. So, um, yeah, listen, that was probably, I was kind of playing my best rugby ever at that stage. 2013, I was starting to fall off the wagon a little bit. But Drico, to be fair to Warren, he kind of, caveated by saying yes Brian in the two earlier tours were way now Brian won Six Nations Player of the Year in 2009 but listen let's not get caught up in the details Um, I think I think listen Brian being dropped by Warren Gatland in 2013 will always be a bit of a bug to bear with a lot of the Irish fans and Draco because like that was the first time ever he'd been dropped by yeah. a coach and in it was in the third test of the decider it was one all yeah, in the series against Australia yeah. everybody expected Brian O'Driscoll be picked but Gatland I think picked 10 of his Welsh players yeah. going into that game brought back J- uh, Jonathan Davies yeah. to partner Jamie Roberts in the centre yeah. and Draco got dropped and yeah. um Listen, it was a massive shock even yeah. for us as a team. Like we were all, like Draco was kind of the main leader of the squad. Like he it was, was unreal. He was. And for him to be dropped, but it, something like that. And that's kind of the the clever thing about Gatland. And he gets a raw deal. But w- the one thing that he's very good at, and something that you'll see that in the recent World Cup, is that he doesn't probably have to have the best players on the pitch. He's just a wonderful motivator. Mm. And something like dropping a player of the standard of Brian O'Driscoll, mm. it kind of gives everybody a kick up the arse, kind of thinking, jeez, mm. we've really, like, how are we going to do this here? Mm. But whatever it was, anyway, it worked. We ended up, we won comfortably in that third test. And yeah. even he said, like, I'd love to put Brian on the bench, but having Brian on the bench is not the same impact as someone like Emmanuel exactly, who would just yeah. who could turn a game Cause, around. Because Brian wasn't necessarily a physical impact. No, no, no. no, no. He's a clever footballer Brilliant at that stage. Baller, playing yeah. some great rugby in 2013 he would say himself he wasn't at the level that he might have been in earlier years oh but at the risk of at the risk of never having the guy on my podcast yes I would say he was slightly past his best in 09 be careful and, well he, as brilliant yeah. footballer as yeah, he was yeah. I yeah. think he'd say if I said to him he'd lost half a yard of pace yeah. he had listen, even though he was still brilliant I, I know exactly what it's like like yeah. listen you, rugby is such an attritional game you are playing it at such a high level yeah. and, and the step up from playing from Leinster or Ulster or Munster or Connacht in the kind of the, the URC league yeah. is, is you know to Europe is a big step the step up from you like Europe to the Six Nations is next level I mean like it, it's massive and the biggest thing whenever I went on the Lions in 2009 it was the end of the season the Ospreys had gone well we just won the Six Nations that year I felt peak of my powers yeah. as fit as I could be yeah. we were doing training at altitude with oxygen masks yeah. we were doing all this crazy stuff yeah. And the first day of training, you have 30 of the best players from the four countries coming together. Mm. And the standard and intensity of training was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. I remember going, um, coming like the next day, the second day of training, heading down for dinner that night. And I was literally having to go down the stairs in my arse because my legs were that wrecked. And I was rooming with the out half, Stephen Jones, the Welch out half at the time. And we were both tucked up in bed, not in the same bed, (laughs) separate beds, at uh, half nine that night. And we were kind of thinking, oh, we had team building the next day and it was one of those things you're like we have to go off and uh, like team building and like standing on rafts and hope you don't fall yeah. the, the sort of thing that like it looks great and you have these fellas drill sergeants shouting at you it's the last thing we want to do yeah. we're wrecked I can't be dealing with this and at half nine we got a text from Ian McGeekin who was the head coach at the time he said everybody to be down in the hotel lobby at 10 o'clock and we're like oh my god 
what is this? Like, is this going to be keeping us up on? Like, is this some <laughs> other team building exercise yeah. to really test us? And we all we got up and nobody knew what was going on. We got down into the hotel lobby, walked into the bar and there was literally about 50 pints just oh. lined up in the bar. And Ian McGeekin just said, listen guys, we're not together for a very long period of time. I feel the best way for you to get to know your neighbours, get to know people who you've had fights and conflicts on the pitch with is to have a pint with them. So we end up getting absolutely rad art and uh, sing songs, yeah. me ha- like hanging out with the English lads and that takes a lot uh, and, and sharing the crack with them and it was brilliant it was brilliant like it was a real that was a masterstroke it's funny it is and it's funny you should say that though because I've spoken to a few people about this a few rugby players about this and um when it comes to going on the Lions tours Mm. the, the Irish and the English players get on seem to get on very well the Irish and the Welsh get on very well. You think the Irish and the Welsh get on well? It, very oddly, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Irish what about and the Irish and the English? And I said, why? I won't say the player. Yeah. And I said, why? And he went, because he said, we both know the the gig, Ireland and England. Oh, yeah. We both know it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a known entity. Yeah, of course and so they kind of ironically do get on well. And that tallies with other stuff I've heard as well. A bit, for example, taxi drivers. Mm-hmm. They say, who are the best fans? And he went, well, not, no word of a lawyer, really. I know this sounds strange, but the fucking English fans are the best. And I went, why? Because they know they drill, right? They know they oppressed us for 800 years. And they're almost sorry for it, right? And they are huge tippers. Huge tippers. <laughs> now, the French, they, they fuck off to the shell barn with their bagel and they won't spend a penny. Scots, titles are not chuff, right? I don't like the Welsh, yeah. but the uh, English. So, 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 Fair enough. Yeah. But do, is there anything that, that registers there with you? Though? With the English, like say for instance, someone like an Owen Farrell, like Faz is a ultimate competitor. Like Faz, Owen Farrell is like a Johnny Sexton. Like, you know, once you step out onto the grass, they are feckers. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? Like mm. they're the sort of people you love to have on your team. They're the pe- last people you want to be up against. Just fierce competitors drive their own team drive you drive the opposition but see actually when you step off the pitch unbelievable crack like listen everybody talks about Johnny Sex and things you, you see the scowl across yeah. his face but see Johnny in the team room yeah. you know that evening playing pool like the crack he's yeah. brilliant yeah. What loves a forfeit he goes into game mode once he's in the game mode man he's the most competitive yeah. man and he's had this vision he just like everything slots into place for yeah. Johnny Sexton yeah. apart from us when we don't slot into yeah. place for him <laughs> and then he lets rip and Owen Farrell's like that too just a couple of players just a couple of qu- quick rugby questions for you just to, uh, about your career one of the things that I, th- I noticed about you and Europe, you you really uh, you produced for Ireland, and what I mean by that is you played really well a lot of the time for Ireland. In mm. other words, being in the Irish shirt brought out the best in you. Mm. Not all not all really good players produce. Some players kind of underperform. Some players take a long time to perform. You really did perform. We see you, you forget this, right? So actually, I ended up. So I did, because uh, I live on the border, I actually ended up going to secondary school in Armagh, did A-levels, completely cocked them up, didn't go the way I wanted to. I was actually going, I was giving up rugby. I was, uh, my, I didn't make Ireland schools. I barely played for Ulster schools, didn't get picked for any academies. So I was heading off to Scotland to go on the piss. Okay. And my A-levels didn't go well and my rugby coach actually ended up getting in touch with Alan Clark, who was head of the Ulster Academy at the time, said, listen, 
Tommy's exams hasn't gone well. There's a course in Belfast that I think he might be able that he might enjoy. And I think this guy has got serious potential if you give him a chance. So he said, right, we've got a trial next week. We'll slot him in. He can go at full back. We'll give him a slot. So I actually had just come back from a holiday in Tenerife with a bunch of my mates. I had bleach blonde hair with a blue stripe down the middle of it. <laughs> it was absolute. And I had to turn up to this Ulster rugby trial. Like, yeah. It was horrific. But I ended up having the best rug- game of rugby in my life. Ended up going to another trial, played really well. Got into the Ulster Academy as a wild card. Mm. That was 18 years of age. I ended up getting capped for Ireland at 20. So it all happened really fast. And I then went through a few years of playing for Ulster, playing okay for Ulster, got capped a number of times for Ireland, but wasn't good. Not at the beginning? No, I was awful. So I actually think I'm one of the only players ever to get a zero out of 10 in the paper. From who? Neil Francis who I bumped into quite recently actually. and I have as well it was quite awkward yeah. um, so Fran and gave me a 0 out of 10 like, especially when the guy that rated you 0 out of 10 is 19 stone and 6 foot 6 exactly I mean what does he know about wing play <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be fair every, and this was in the Six Nations yeah. so we went we played Italy away from home um, I didn't have a great game in that one no Italy at home but I scored a try if you had kind of uh, video ref nowadays, probably wouldn't have been a tribal right. lesson. That's worried about that. Uh, then went away from home, played against France, and we were trying out this new line speed defence, the mm. sort of defence that you see teams doing all the time. Mm. We were thinking ahead of ourselves, this is Eddie O'Sullivan, <laughs> thinking out, mm. outside the box. Set your hair on fire, used to say. So literally, my job was to shoot from the outside, come right in and just smash the guy, smash the winger out the back. We knew the play. We knew, we'd seen it at the video analysis, the whole lot. So five minutes into the game, ball comes off the line, uh, top of the line out for France. They give it out to the out half Michelac throws it out the back to Heyman's I come sprinting out this is my moment <laughs> this is what we trained all of a sudden be, and now I'm blaming the boots because <laughs> a bad, bad workman blames his tools I had these new blades they're, they're okay, like the yes. new boots so I kind of like sprinted out of the box but he kind of he's a small fella he put a bit of footwork on so I kind of hit the brakes a bit and slipped yeah. fell backwards completely missed yeah. him he went round me two pass late Rougerie was in under the post okay. scored a try France 7-0 up and things went progressively downhill from there <laughs> so much so I think we were losing by 40 points at half time yeah. I got taken off after 45 minutes Andrew oh. Trimble came on had a stormer pulled it back to we nearly got, we nearly won the game and um I ended up thinking, right, I'll uh, I'll keep my head down, you know, avoid the coaches. There's no real social media at this stage. Won't yeah. read the papers. Get myself to the hotel in uh, Kalani Castle or wherever we were at the time, and uh, get myself ready for train Monday morning. And uh, Sunday night, I got this message from a friend of mine. He says, "You wouldn't believe what that bollocks said about you in the paper." <laughs> zero. I said, uh, "What are you? What are you talking about?" He goes, "Sure, didn't he just give you a zero out of ten? Tommy, oh yeah." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah so I got a 0 10 didn't yeah. get picked and didn't get picked for the next 3 or 4 years okay. so okay. actually so it was in your mid to late career that yeah. you bloomed yeah so it was probably from I made the decision so I didn't get picked for the World Cup in 2007 the nightmare in France and that was probably one of the darkest days because all the way up until that I've been in the Irish 30 man squad and they brought in Brian Carney who was a rugby league convert he came in took my place and uh, yeah like it was a big blow I had to go, went to see psychologists like you know it's one of these things that um, a real setback because I'd had the 0 out of 10 things weren't going well for me and I ended up then making the decision that I would go to the Ospreys and play in Wales 
and that was not the done thing. Nobody kind of within the Irish system had ever left the Irish Irish teams, Irish provinces. But I felt that whatever I'm doing here at the minute, I felt I was playing well for Ulster, but it just doesn't seem to be enough to get myself into the Irish team. And I thought, if I can go and play in this Welsh team that they just won the Grand Slam, 13 of the players were Ospreys, I thought that this could... So a bit of a kick up the arse, a bit of trying something new, and it totally reinvented my that career. That was it? Yeah. Totally. The fresh page. Big time. Listen, going over to a new team, being completely written off, knowing that this is my opportunity, like either make or break. And they played a style of rugby that really suited me. And did you feel... um you sort of felt like a, a bit of a, a, a relaxed in that environment coming from the outside almost. Yeah, well, little, no, not at all. The complete opposite. Like, huh. the thing is, is, and I would say you look at a lot of the players who stay at Leinster. Like, this is. No, no, I meant, the, no, you, did you feel pressure to get into the Ireland squad or oh. less pressure? Being an Ospreys. Oh, listen, the thing was as well is that when you're playing for a foreign team, if it's a 50-50 call between me and an Irish player, they have to pick the Irish player. So I knew for me to play for Ireland, I had to be you know, 10% but did better. did that relax you in a way? No, it, it, it pushed me. It, yeah. Like, I, I'm one of these people that love, you know, I'm, the competitiveness comes out. Mm. So going to a new team, kick me out of my comfort zone, push me to really excel myself. They played great rugby. And then at the same time, any time... So the, the good thing is as well, because I could have gone to France or could have gone to England. But the thing was, Declan Kidney was a, the coach at the time. So if he wanted to go watch me play in England or France, he had to book a separate flight to go and watch it. Yeah. Where at the Ospreys were in the same league, you'd be playing against an Irish province once every three or four weeks. Right. He could so you were see still you. in you're Ireland. On the, you're on the radar. And the, any time we were playing against an Irish province, like that was my chance to shine. And yeah, like I loved it. I loved it. And I, I really, you went over there, you were the Irish, mad Irish man from, you know, in Swan. Ponzi in Wales, like you yeah. could do whatever you want. And, 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 and then you had this storied career, one of the best, one of the best wingers we've ever produced. And I, I wanted to ask you a couple of technical questions, actually, funnily enough, because it's not all te- general here. But um, <laughs> this is a winger. Remember, I stand on the wing. Oh, no, no, it's about winging stuff. Okay, right. It's about winging stuff. It's about winging stuff. Put the ball in the corner. I, I'm winging it as okay. well. Like So anyway, but um, were you were you were you fast? Obviously, everybody has to be fast to be a winger. But I, I'm kind of interested to know how fast you were. So were you, were you, for example, the fastest in your in the squad generally? I was one of the fastest. Yeah, listen, I was deceptively quick. I have a long stride, so I don't look. So yeah. people would watch me going, he's not fast at all yeah. compared to somebody like a Luke Fitzgerald who was just very zippy, yeah. very fast feet. So, but, but you were fast. In all the speed tests, yeah, I was right up there, yeah. yeah. I'd say it was up there top one or two all the time. Really? Yeah, so yeah particularly was... around that sort of time whenever I was at, you know, at my best level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting, yeah. Because yeah. So in other words, it kind of, to be to play at. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah whenever, whenever I was playing well, and and no injuries. I yeah. mean, that's the big thing. Like we were talking about, say, O'Driscoll and O'Gar. Like a lot of players, they get to that stage where it's experience keeps them in it as much. Oh, yeah. Because their body does. T- like once you start to get a few operations and your knees and your hips and your back yeah. start tightening up, yeah. like it does. It does. Oh. Like an, a yard or five yeah, yards of pace. Oh, oh, 09 when we won the Grand Slam. Yeah. Uh, everybody remembers that, you know, and everybody kind of remembers where they were. Mm. Um, was that? Was, were you at your peak around that time? Yeah, that was, yeah. was uh, kind of like. 08 till probably 013 013 2013 is probably the the Welsh match in in, in, I was special really was special and you were such a big part of that one of the biggest days and worst days of my career why one of the worst well obviously um, winning the Grand Slam scoring a try first time in 61 years like 
amazing to be a part of. Um, family there, night out in Wales, crack was mighty. But we celebrated, uh, myself, Jordan Murphy and uh, Mervyn Murphy, the video analyst. So we thought, uh, <laughs> Merv, we we thought, um, God, we got to no make vid- the most of this. Like, this is, this yeah. is pretty epic. Oh, like, yeah. we need to really celebrate those lads yeah. so as anyone else kind of like the blinkers kind of go on you don't really realise that everybody kind of like siphles off and you're the only ones left at the right. party so we'd ordered five bottles of champagne turned out there was only three of us left to drink it yeah. so <laughs> when everybody came down in the morning yeah. the three of us were there still in our suits but them turned inside out trousers inside out <laughs> suits inside out <laughs> with their ties around the head and Declan Kidney came in and looked at us going oh my god what is going on here so anyway they were like right Right, let's try and sober this lot up, get them on the flight, get back to Dublin. But we went to the mansion house. So we had to get to the mansion house and there was this whole big celebration live on telly, 9,000 fans on Dawson Street. And Actually, now it's coming back and you guys were kind of hammered. Kind of. You were yeah. all woolly. I was a pretty, I couldn't really see how yeah. many people but were there. But nobody cared. So Donico Callan, of course, who doesn't drink, yeah. yes. uh, te- told Des Cal, listen, get Tommy up, he'd love to sing a song. <laughs> I love it. So, Was this the Velvet Band? Black, Black Velvet, Velvet Band. Band. So we were in the mansion house. Yeah. You had uh, the Taoiseach was there. You know, the president was there. Uh, you know, all the dignitaries were there. And they were very much keeping me and Jordan and Merv in the corner, out of sight. And uh, anyway, we went out onto stage and Des then goes, and Tommy Bow wants to sing a song. And at this stage, like, it was a sort of like, you wish a hole would just open up. But I kind of thought, listen, I'm going to go for it. I'm still a bit tipsy here. So, <laughs> yeah. And you can see, I didn't know that all the lads were in the semicircle behind me kind of going like, don't, like, well, you know, don't sing, don't sing. So don't stitch me up, lads. So that's where What About Her Eyes and the Black Bell of a Band came out. And uh, anyway, <laughs> it was just like you know from hero to zero in my mind I was just oh what have I done and I remember coming off the stage in the mansion house and Mary McAleese was there and she gave me a big hug and she goes thank God you can run fast <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, uh, so yeah, that was uh, oh, no, uh, that was glorious. Um, it is glorious. But and to be fair, listen, it was probably one of the best things I ever did. Like looking back on at the time, my brother texts me going, "Oh my god, I want the ground to swallow up and eat you." Like you know, that's you know, that, that you know these text messages come through. What have you done? But then it actually, and now I see it. Um, you know, in life after rugby, like. Players with a bit of personality who, who kind of are happy to have a bit of crack. You think of James Lowe and Mac Hansen within the Irish team. Like the, every, the supporters love them because they're normal. They're having a crack. They're not talking about the process and next game. And, and me doing that and showing that I enjoy a few pints and not afraid to Correct. make it. I mean, an arsehole myself. I think people correct. like that. People love, people love, look. for example, for, for, for starters, people love a little look behind the scenes. Yes. And you showing your real self is in a sense looking behind the scenes. Yeah. Also, people love reality, <laughs> truth. And by being a little bit vulnerable, by being a little bit, yeah. uh, a little bit three sheets to the wind, as my grandmother used to say, uh, People adore that because you're not in robot mode. Exactly. And you it's know? you're Irish, you know, and we're yeah. proud to that. And we all make a bit of a fool of ourselves yeah. now and again, yeah. not just in front of 9,000 people. <laughs> Come here, a couple of more uh, quick questions. Who's the best player you've ever played with? Um, best player of play- Listen, O'Driscoll, fantastic player. Like, um, he was, and particularly when you went to, 
the Lions. You know, he would stand out. Some of the skills that he would do was just next level. And it was the fact that it wasn't just the skills. He was able to put his body on the line. Some of the tackles, like you think back and some of the matches and maybe concussion protocols weren't what they are nowadays. And, and like he just, he was not afraid to put his body in the line for his country, for the Lions. But I have to say, Shane Williams, the winger, um, he is five foot nine at a push. He is uh, not your stereotype. In a game full of giants, he was a small guy who won World Player of the Year and I just hated marking him because he could go left of you. He could go right of you. He could go over the top. He'd go under your legs. I mean, you couldn't lay a finger on him. And I actually went to the Ospreys to almost to learn off him because he was unbelievable how he'd turn up at scrum half, at out half on the wing and just show me as a winger it's a waste of time spending your time out on the wing waiting for the ball to come yeah, to you if you involved. want to if you want to have an impact on the match you've yeah. got to get your hands on the ball and that's actually something that became a massive that's part true. of my game and, but also not only has it become a part of your game but now it's no, de rigueur huge. a part of world rugby huge. so James Lowe and Matt Hansen yeah. are just as likely to be first receiver as Johnny Sexton well what's the point having your fastest and your best footwork out on the wing whenever they should be in the yeah. middle taking on the big fat forwards sure, sure Tommy when you were in 1994 what age were you? Uh, 1994, I was 10. Okay, I was 24. Okay. And I was down in Dun- Waterford. Okay. In Dunmore with the boys. So you have a big birthday coming up then too? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was down in Waterford. That. I was down in Waterford. <laughs> okay. And I was with the boys and uh, we were on a, a drinking weekend and uh, we we're having the great crackdown at Dunmore East. And uh, of course, you know, finished the Saturday with the, the old annual match in Twickenham, you know, uh, on the TV, oh, Ireland and England. You know, here comes another terrible defeat and uh, and of course, something miraculous happened the ball came out of the scrum it moved to the out half it moved across to the to the centre the centre threw it to a fella called Simon Gagan this mop of floppy blonde hair who had a kind of an English accent and played for Ireland and he was a solicitor and he ran like the devil and we went go on the fuck Gagan and then he went in the corner and Ireland had scored a try in Twickenham a miraculous try where we passed the ball to the fucking winger and we hadn't seen it in about 15 years <laughs> now you see nowadays yeah. wingers are everywhere and we Ireland score five tries a game I know we used to score two tries a championship oh my God. Tommy I used to love Simon Gagan he was my <laughs> he, the mop of hair like I used to go to the old Lansdowne Road and uh, the wonderful thing about Simon Gagan was like he used to kick it long and he'd be back in the 22 and he'd catch it and he'd sprint mm. full blast back to the defensive <laughs> But by the time he got to the defensive line, he was bollocks. Jimmy, yeah. like he was. There was no footwork or anything then. Jimmy. But when he was going for it, man, he were, the yeah. whole crowd was up. And exactly, it was back when Irish rugby, that was a big thing. Yeah. So, uh, like, I grew up in those days. My dad used to take me all the time to uh, the old Ireland matches in Lansdowne Road. And, like, that's where you get the love of it. And, and it's great. And I, I think that's, like, it's there. Jeez, it's there in spades at the moment. Such a massive follow. Was it incredibly proud to put on the Irish jersey? Uh, listen, incredibly when I mentioned to you earlier on, like that dream had passed. Like I said to you earlier on that I grew up, uh, that I, I didn't think that it was going to happen, that I obviously dreamt of becoming an international rugby player, representing my country, but never getting picked for the academy, not getting picked for Ireland schools. You kind of think that that dream is gone and you have to move on. So to be given a kind of a, a backdoor back into it again and then for it to happen. Like I, I remember... Um, 
the first time I heard I was being picked for the Irish squad and I played four or five matches for Ulster Rugby and for Ulster and I was this young 20 year old and I had the bleach blonde hair at the games that was kind of a thing at the time <laughs> I Well even Drico did it Yeah exactly Well that's not saying much <laughs> Let's not talk too much He also that, had man. the shrig Oh God uh, I, I couldn't grow one thankfully no. um, but, but he just couldn't pull off the bleached hair now No No But the, the, like at that stage Sorry, it was I'm slagging like, him off all the time It was Brando Driscoll like Jimmy got, yeah. everything else was picked from to wear he had to wear yeah. so it was kind of his thing the hair but um, I got told I remember we were doing a signing session for Ulster and you had like David Humphreys and you had a couple of Ulster rugby players and all the fans you had this huge big queue of supporters there and I was just sta- you had to stand in certain spots in the car park and nobody was coming to ask for my autograph I was just standing there on my own and next to this TV camera came over and it says Tommy Bow, how does it feel to be picked in the Ireland squad and I thought they were taking like I, I hope that footage never comes up again because I was a rabbit in the headlights I didn't know what they are talking about and uh, it turns out that I got picked I looked at my phone and my dad loads of missed calls but like I was a student so I like had to reverse the charges to ring my dad (laughs) I love that to kind of ring him back and he's like Tommy you're in the and like so uh, so going down and meeting like Paul O'Connell Driscoll and Malcolm O'Kelly and Anthony Foley a heroes and then you know a couple of weeks later I I played against the USA so that's Mm -hmm. back in uh, 2004 so like uh, and it was in the old Lansdowne Road it was against the USA you had the national anthem my parents were there I still have all the letters you know that I've been sent to. like it was a yeah special special and, and sometimes I go home and you look at that and it's nice, yeah, it's, nice. You, it's probably you, the highlight of my career Do you develop close personal bonds with few people few guys in the squad and if so do they stay with you after you leave rugby Yeah I think that like I did something with a couple of players there the other day that haven't seen I'd say I haven't seen them in two or three years and we had to do this kind of event and we all were handed a microphone they're kind of saying what are you going to talk about and we, they kind of had this structure and then we just said you know what because that the, like it, the crack you know when you share a change room with somebody for 10 years you forget the funny stuff that you've been through yeah. the, the trauma that you've been through the winning the losing and uh, that, those sort of things like I might not see Donico Callan for instance for five years Donica and Tommaso O'Leary but all of a sudden we get together for a coffee or you know I might be having a beer and like it just floods back the same with like and it is it's something special like when you you, you share a moment with these guys that very few other people even your family or your wife or partner they're they're a part of it but they're not and I think that that's what the sanctuary of a change room is and that's that looking back on it is still the bit that I kind of miss the most yeah I, I'm interested to hear that. Um, you know that there's people who listen to this podcast live? What? There are people listening live to this podcast? Oh, yeah, good, good afternoon to you. Yeah. <laughs> and some of them ring in. Oh, right, okay, yeah, so brilliant. There's people on the phone now. Oh, right, like, okay. So Ryan well, Nugent uh, is on the phone. He Say is hello. not, is he? Say hello Love to him. Ryan. Uh, Ryan, how are you? Tommy, it's so great to talk to you. I've missed you. You know my career went down the toilet when you retired because I had nobody to shout. Can you give me one more chance to do my bit? Uh, Ryle, do you know I've missed it as much as you have. But surely you have. Can I do it? Please do. Can I do it, Tommy? Please do. You know what it is. Oh, I do. It has to be. Hit me with it. It must be. Come on. Tommy Bo! Oh man, I've missed that, Ryle. Oh, you know, one time I appeared on the Ian Dempsey Breakfast Show. And I actually wrote the song to the tune of Frozen. 
Tommy Bow, Tommy Bow, can't live without you anymore. It's incredible. James Lowe just doesn't have the same sound, does it? <laughs> no, it just didn't even scan. James Lowe. <laughs> oh, Ryle, I've missed you. Oh, Listen, Ryle, we must catch up. That's brilliant. Ryle, he lives near me and it's great to hear that he's listening to the show. Oh, my God, fantastic. Uh, it hasn't been the same without him. We talk about rugby a lot and there'll be more calls, but we talk about rugby a lot. In, 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 I'm talking about rugby a lot to you, obviously, for obvious reasons. But let's move on a little bit because okay. there's so much more to you, Tommy, and you've kind of reinvented yourself. I mean, I think of other people like uh, Gary Lineker, who moved from sport into very much mainstream broadcasting yeah, very yeah. well. And, and now you're doing that as well. And it's been like the proverbial, sorry for using the word duck, uh, to water again, because, you know, you, you've, people, are, people are enjoying you. You love it. You like it. Um, it's live presentation, mm. live TV. You've had some great viral moments. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and how is, you know, you work with a great person, Mwirin yeah. and Alan. Yeah. And they're real pros. Mwirin has been on the podcast. She has, she I've heard it. Day FM. Yeah. Um, I know Mwirin very well. Um and uh, so how I love it. it. Yeah, you. I, I do. You're good at it. I, I, I really enjoy. And I have to say, from the off, I think you've the record for the fewest questions we've ever asked oh, in an yeah, interview. Oh yeah, remember? <laughs> you came out like we never do pre-records, but we heard you were keen to come on. We we're like, yes, let's do. So we stayed behind, and uh, normally our interviews we kind of eight to ten minutes because you're, you're the news and us talking shite, whatever else. Uh, but we did the pre-record, so we asked you two questions, and you spoke for twelve minutes. <laughs> You had us remember it was the story with your hand in the pocket uh, from uh, Fair City or Glen Row. Oh man, that the thing about it was right. So I appeared on just for the listeners. I appeared with Tommy and Mern, and it was just such a nice, warm atmosphere. And they're both on the couch, and they're both looking at you, and they're both listening to you. And of course, listening is key to bloody well doing this gig <laughs> well it is un- unless the, the guest just goes off in the time like, because we because we, you know yourself you kind of have like structure like we get a, yeah, a, a, bu- brief. a bundle of notes yeah. read through it all kind of going like we think we'll go this angle this angle you know yeah. I, yeah. now we have nine to twelve interviews but you know every day. that all goes out the window if you're comfortable <laughs> well yeah comfortable and if you have somebody who you know listen we might just have to let this one off the leash Yeah. and uh, we asked the initial question about whatever else and then uh, Warren brought up the thing he said oh I haven't tell, told that story should I tell that yeah, story yeah. and off he went oh well, my god I told the story I swear that was and at so the end of funny it, at the end of it uh, we all gave each other a hug and went thanks very much and you stayed by for the pre-record and then Mern texted me later or she even said you should do that in your show your live yeah. show and I swear to you I texted Mern a few months ago and I said Mern I hope just wanted to let you know that I did the encore to my show every night was the story about Glen Rowe not only that I went to the RTE archives and I got the scene so that at the end of my story, the audience are peeled over with laughter because they're going, oh, Jesus, it's so awful. It's so awful, the story. Uh-huh. And then I, I went and they think it's over. And I go, and it's not over because I knew if I wanted to come in front of you today, I'd have to, to, to do go the hog, go the full hog out. So this week I went to the RT archives and it's on a massive screen oh, and I show them the scene and they go. For God's sake. Oh. And it's me 30 years ago. Standing like. ovation. Oh, so it's feckin'. And if you want to hear about that story, go see Mario live because <laughs> you will be bent over. I mean, that God, the that had me story. in such a laugh. But yes, uh, yeah. Ireland M. Um, when you leave rugby, unfortunately, we're not like soccer players. We can't just go off on the golf course, put the feet up. We have to move on and find a new life after rugby. And a lot of guys go to become teachers or business development and try to bring business in. Um, I obviously have the clothing and shoe business, which I'm a big part of. But I kind of to try and keep a brand going. It's easy to do it when you're a professional rugby player because you're kind of cool. 
hip, you know, you're a rugby player. But all of a sudden become a retired rugby player, which isn't so cool because there's an awful lot of them out there. So there are. Um, Punditry was not really something yeah. for me. Like Drico O'Driscoll's great at it. Johnny Sexton will be amazing at it. Paul O'Connell and um, Ronald are excellent because they've always been involved in the decision making and and the the you know tactics. I was a winger. I stood there. There aren't that many winger pundits. Ah, not many. And if they are, they probably don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Me included. <laughs> so I kind of felt that, that doesn't um, say much for Shane Shane Horgan. I was, <laughs> well, Shaggy's great too, yeah, yeah, but he's yeah. controversial. And that's what you kind of got to do to kind of keep yourself in there. And and the thing is with Shane is that Shane was there for a while until the next player retires. And you kind of push down the pecking order and all of a sudden you get less and less gigs. So I kind of thought, well, listen, if I'm going to try and do give TV a go because I feel I have an opportunity there, why not try presenting? How did you try presenting? But Well, I... I I, I I thought I looked at Lineker. I, I swear, Gary Lineker. You have Sue Barker. You have um, a number of different people have tried it. And I remember listening to a lot of interviews with Gary Lineker, and he kind of spoke about how he knows the inside of the change room in Wembley. Like I know the inside of the change room in Twickenham or the Aviva State. I know what a coach would be saying. So I think I could give a different perspective to the viewers from, you know, asking questions of my peers who I know what, you know, what something maybe uh, in the me- somebody in the media might not know. And um, I thought that that would be a really interesting angle to go. So I ended up then, I did a few kind of things. I was playing with Ulster at the time. BBC, Ulster, Northern Ireland gave me, um, I did like a, a carpool karaoke. I did a few bits and pieces. Mm. And from there, I did an interview with the Irish Times said that I'd like to go into presenting. Mm. Somebody from Air Sport spotted it, asked me, OK, would you like to come in for a showreel? I did a couple of screen tests for that, got that. And then all of a sudden from there, Ireland um, opportunity. So, like, it's very like rugby, you know, like you have to throw yourself in at the deep end. A bit like going to the Ospreys, push yourself outside your comfort zone. You never know where it can take you. And my God, Ireland um, in those early days, I was a rat, like... Were you? Well, I was, I'd never read the newspaper. I was a rugby player. like, I avoided newspapers because I got a zero out of ten in them. I mean, like that's where you go to get bad news. Okay, so all of a sudden, bad papers are yeah, just bad news. Bad news, and particularly trying to read them in an autocue. Oh, well, still well, there with that. you go. It's funny. I just quick story about an autocue because I did a, a rugby show a few years ago with Donnacha O'Callaghan, yeah, and we did it on Virgin, and which was TV three at the time still, and or maybe it was Virgin. But anyway, we did six episodes, and it was it was when Ireland won the Grand Slam, so it was actually building towards a great time. But uh, Donnacha was only able to come into the show. Uh, at the very last moment yeah. you know the way rugby players yeah, are yeah, right? of course, so right. I was there rehearsing and, and prepping the show for a couple of weeks with the team and then he's like now the deal is Mario Donica is only able to come in the night of the first show and we're there <laughs> that's fine we'll wing it I know Donica. Uh-huh. I've done stuff with him before he's very natural and uh, so Hilarious. they had all this stuff ready on autocue right and Donica comes in at 7 o'clock show's live at 8 Donica flies in at 7 and they go right Donica, we have your autocue ready and he's there um, it's a great um, the night is great lads me no like he ought to cue. <laughs> and basically they all shat their pants because they went sorry the whole thing is autocue oh really yeah well like for, for presenters oh. and except when you, when you talk to somebody yeah yeah and they are, they had all this stuff where, and the, their presenter Donica is going me no likey autocue <laughs> like as if it's not a problem 
and we're there an hour to go and we went to just take down the autocue and just wing it I'll do all the autocue stuff and yeah. Donica just speaks off the top of his and head and to be no better man fine. no fine. better like that guy yeah. is the funniest man yeah. ever he's really funny oh he's naturally yeah, 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 just yeah. a hilarious guy so yeah autocue would ruin Donica where actually just off the cuff he's brilliant yeah he's a real really natural one oh, of Ireland's great real timing. natural thing yeah I, mean, I love spending time yeah. with Donica he's such a laugh it was great because I nearly, he nearly I nearly lost him the first week because we were uh, I always talk nonsense and uh, he, he was getting to know me and I was there um, I was describing him in front of him and I was going yeah you're that thing that uh, the French describes as jolly laid and uh, he went what? jolly laid what's that? and I went it means beautiful ugly and he went what? and it, and I was because it, there's a concept of uh, somebody who looks their looks are weird, strange Yeah. so when you look at them they go he could be a Dolce and Gabbana mm, model yeah. or he could be Shrek. <laughs> and sometimes he can turn his head and you go, ooh la la, it's Dunica. And then he'll go, what? And you go, oh no, it's Shrek again. <laughs> oh my God, he's back. <laughs> no, Who's his, that guy? Honestly, expressive face. Yeah. Which, and you know, black hair, brown eyes. He doesn't blue even eyes, need black... filters. No, but, so he can look really stunning. Yeah. And then another, and then a moment later he can snarl or something. He looks, he looks like a, a like a, a monster. <laughs> it's called. But anyway, there's a word for it in French. Jolie laid. Oh, jolly A person laid. who has that face that they can look beautiful. Okay. But also quite, right. quite, quite monstrous yeah. at times as well. And he gets a a, a, a tough deal because he's he is very natural funny yeah. but he's actually one of the most professional mm. athletes I ever worked yeah, with like I remember it's I heard. actually it's unreal that yeah. he has like he carries a notebook everywhere yeah. and when he ticks off all the things like little jobs he's meticulous yeah. ticks them all off it kind of like clears his head and then he can be jolly laid all he wants and he's absolutely <laughs> hilarious um, so the TV right so yes. just that's going great and be honest with me then yeah. would you like to stay in that area and where not that this isn't this isn't oh. a great place to be, but would you like to continue and and do more in yeah. that area? No, I love it. Yeah. Like, listen, is yeah. there no end? Is well, there I'll no ne- limit? I'll never is get. Is there no limit, Tommy? Uh, there's no limit. There is no limit. No, no limit. Yeah. Um, there, there's no way I'm ever going to replace running out on the Aviva again. You know, like though that was the dream growing up, going representing your country. So you have to find something else and see doing Ireland M. It's an early start. You have to get prepped early, but I kind of that brings out the. I kind of get the professionalism almost that was ingrained in us as a rugby player. I love that, the the discipline. And you don't get, there's very few other jobs where you get the, the adrenaline rush of seven o'clock in the morning, sitting down with a government minister opposite you or talking about the riots from last week where you kind of have to be on the ball, know what you're talking about and then be able to deal with well, that was absolutely desperate. Now, coming up next, we're making cheesecake in the kitchen. Yeah. So the, the gear changes. It is it. weird, yeah. You're kind of like, mm. you have to be on. And I yeah. love I love the, the... And you are actually... The crack You actually that. did the fastest gear change in the history of television, I think, didn't you? Which one? It was I the think... one where you did the 10... Is it the 10? Ten... Oh, 10 siblings. Oh, God, yeah. But, that so was br- but I've never seen a gear change faster. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, describe that to the listeners. I, well, I think, to be honest, Who it's didn't hard see it on to viral. describe, but I think you need to just YouTube it. Mm. So if if you want to have a laugh, it, it literally will put a smile on your face mm. at my expense, but I don't mind. Uh, Tommy Bow, 10 siblings. So we were interviewing Seamus O'Reilly, who uh, is a brilliant author, a uh, brilliant columnist as well. And his um, he wrote a book about uh, his family is uh, growing up, but also about him and his 10 siblings and what happened when their mother died, right? But uh, this happened like 10, 15 years ago. So we had uh, Seamus on and 
on these interviews you kind of go to the breaks so you pull up Skype and this was mid-Covid so I was chatting away to him in the break and I probably should have done my prep should have read what is coming up on the auto queue uh, but I was too busy something was going on with his microphone and we were having a bit of a laugh I said oh Seamus listen we're coming back on we'll be on air in 10 seconds and um all of a sudden, then uh, Claire McKenna, who was uh, presenting with me at the time, said, Now, Seamus O'Reilly, uh, he and his 10 siblings. Now, I knew he had 10 siblings. I don't know why, but I went, 10 siblings. And then she goes, Sadly lost their mum. And it's the, uh, <laughs> it's the, it's the It's like, oh, I yeah. fucked up here, haven't yeah. I? Yeah. Um, a lo- another person would have been, let's say, m- roasted alive for it. You got away with it. Well, because people liked you first. Well, the thing, well, so there's a few things to this. I didn't realize. So the YouTube clip or online clip makes it look like I've just gone, yeah. and the whole interview stopped. Yeah. I didn't even realize I'd made a mistake. Yeah. I just carried on. So Seamus, tell us about the new book. <laughs> right, that's wonderful. And it was only that afternoon yeah. uh, I was at home and my mother-in-law was there, and uh, I got a text message from somebody who I haven't heard from in a long time with just like three laughing emojis. Mm. So I was like, oh, what's going on? He goes, oh, the show, that was so funny. Yeah. And I was like, oh, the cookery segment. Yeah, like we had a good laugh with Catherine Laid and the kid. I don't know who was in the kid. And then he goes, have you not looked at your phone yet? And yeah. I looked at Twitter and I swear to yeah. God, I was yeah. like thousands yeah. of mentions. Yeah. And uh, then I watched it and like, listen, it is, yeah. it's comedy That's gold. Great. It's Alan Partridge, eat your heart out. Yeah. But I have to say, I have probably one of those at least once a week Mm. I mean like I'm kind of it's just I think that that's what people kind of like about me on Ireland M is that I don't try to be too professional I'm not very professional I'm certainly not polished but um, I kind of just go a bit like the Black Velvet Band you know we all make cock ups and be uh, yourself you know listen eventually someday I'll probably say the wrong thing and you know it'll be meant in jest or yeah. it won't be meant bad but that is the unfortunately this showed yeah. me how dangerous Twitter is that if something gets clipped up yeah, without right. a context yeah. and how far yeah. and quick it can spread yeah. it's actually quite frightening yeah 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 I mean the worst in a way the worst thing you can be is is, is not notice, not noticed at all you know <laughs> listen, like honestly I've had that many car crash things like mm. I, I mean what are some of the ones I like we had this one one time and um, it was a really sad really really sad interview and it was me one on one and um, I can't remember what it was well I can but I don't want to go into it but mm. it was a really sad interview and uh, like we were all kind of I was talking to the, the person on Skype and uh, we were kind of saying listen just don't worry about it you'll get through this and you know we'll catch up soon whatever else and obviously everybody in the gallery the producer was so engrossed in it as well and there was meant to be the people on top of what's coming up next and chains in the article whatever else and uh, I said well, listen I, we will catch up soon and uh, thanks so much for talking to us so I turned around and I looked at the autocue and like you know your eyes you're kind of like Flip, that was it. Uh, that was tough and I looked at the autocue and I said Coming up next, uh, we're talking to an influencer who sells farts in a jar. My oh gosh. my god! <laughs> I actually remember the farts in a jar. Actually, oh my god! I remember that... talking about that in a meeting, going, "Is this farts in a jar?" Said, when this girl actually, and like she was, and like she put little flower petals in the bottom of the jar to soak up the smell. And then we actually did the interview with her, and we Brian O'Driscoll on next. Boy, Brian keeps coming up in this. He was actually on the studio, and I had a jar, and I said, "I'm a man who loves to make a few quid," and I threw him the jar, and he caught it, and he goes. <laughs> <laughs> and 
very you money good. maker for you, Brian. But uh, yeah, that like that's the car crash of yeah. live telly, and it's morning, and I think people just. Uh, they enjoyed like myself, Warren and Alan. We have a great relationship with each other. You know Warren; she's so yeah. professional. She is, she's yeah. so over and, everything and bright and up with things. Oh, big! So time. she's loves. She adores current affairs. Oh my God, loves it! Yeah, and she's very quick and she and keeps me right, yeah. which is so good. Good and limerick then, girl. And then Alan is just such a pro. He's been there for so long. Yeah, and Alan he is can, a total pro. He can mix the serious, having the laugh, yeah. and just seems to get it right. And, and he's working and that panto. He's working oh, that panto. Oh, it's that time of the year. Sammy sausages. <laughs> Uh, phone, uh, phone. Oh, Somebody's on the phone. Ring, ring. Um, it's Ronan O'Gara. Say hello, Rog. Uh, how are you? Yeah, how's it going, Tommy? Life and good in uh, La Rochelle. How's the how's the weather down there? May we? The weather is fucking enormous. Eh? <laughs> it's great. I see the French is getting better anyway. Yeah, no, it's coming on. Um, I was going to ask you there um, about the clothing line. I haven't had a, any calls from you to do any modelling, any of the, the jackets or anything. I'm doing my own line of berets over here. Yeah, yeah. I, any tips fair, for starting up? Ah, man, the, the old grey hair, man, it's, uh, it's not a great... The old stress is getting to you, obviously, is it? No, it's fine. I'm probably the best coach in the world at the moment, so I think you'd agree yourself, Tommy. Are you going to rope Johnny in to help you? Well, bearing in mind Johnny's and mine history, I don't know how well that would work, Tommy. But, um, no, it's clothing. <laughs> Sorry about the gaps when I talk. Oh, I know. Oh, I had to do team talks with you, Ronan. I know only too well. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of, Ronan, remember the time that you used to always tell me off and training, but I didn't know if you were talking to me or talking to someone else because you kept stop, stopping in the middle of it. That's right, I remember that. Long pauses there. I think it was Polly I was talking to, but anyway. Is that me? Polly, yeah. No, it's yeah. Mario I'm talking to there. Mario? Yeah? Will you ask him to tell you about the, the, how he started the old clothing range there? Because, as I said, the berries are flying over here. Right, well, that's good. Yeah, well, well Rog, done, Rog. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Rog. Uh, we'll send you out that new jacket for you when the the weather gets a little <laughs> bit uh, colder over in La Rochelle. Clothing, clothing. Uh, Did cl- you? Was it your idea, or were you a friend of yours, or something? Or to so we the clothing is actually gone ten years this year. Mm-hmm. So uh, very proud of that. The shoes, uh, Lloyd Price shoes, they're going fourteen years. Mm-hmm. So it was actually back in two thousand and nine. I got listen. Everybody in rugby. Uh, was opening cafes or mm. bars or restaurants mm. and uh, you know it was, it was kind of the rage you know you had Jamie Heaslip in his restaurant and you had Rogers involved in a bar and whatever else and uh, my parents were both very you know entrepreneurial had their own businesses so I've always been interested in that I was doing a business diploma at the yes. time and two lads from Monaghan who are my neck of the woods who've been involved in the shoe industry for generations were launching new footwear design and wanted to know whether I'd be interested in coming on board. So <laughs> I wasn't quite the fashionista but uh, I, I thought... See, I got the impression that you were. I know. No. Well, not... So it was, they, they were saying Tommy could be the sort of almost the front. Yeah, front yeah. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. like this would be a great name. You're from Monaghan. We've like friends in common. Great, uh, great way to start this brand. And like the shoes took off, man. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you I, sold I, lots of lots of shoes. Oh, like it was yeah. like it just it was just, it was great timing. There was nobody else in the market at the time. Like it was just it was such and it was a new news story. Like that's always yeah. what you want. Like you want to be a new business. Yeah. 
so the shoes were great but at the time it was hard for me because a brown pair of shoes is a brown pair of shoes and navy, like you know there's very little influence I felt I could have at bar just going out there and talking to people who were buying them or the shopkeepers mm. um, so I Ask them about clothing because I know I buy three pairs of shoes a year. Now, I obviously get a lot more now, but I would generally buy a couple of pairs of shoes, but I'd be buying T-shirts and jumpers and jeans and jackets and gilets. So I thought like for every three T-shirts that sold and one pair of shoes, like why don't we try clothing? And it's something I could get a lot more involved in and become invested in and and, um, have a real impact in. So we decided to start 15 Kings of Clothing. That was in 2013. And like it's been, it's it's just been really interesting, like particularly over COVID, you know, stuff like trying to get stuff shipped in and factories and have to get over to Portugal and seeing stuff being manufactured and I love it I really enjoy it now it's hard I'm not involved in the nitty gritty of it uh, every day but like if I see a top that I really like mm. or I see like I was on Grafton Street there mm. and I was picking out stuff that I thought that you know small details that you can kind of make differences on send them off to the factories change it up and that would be great for next winter collection yeah. so um, as myself I love a pair of good jeans good chinos a yeah. nice shirt a pair of brown navy yeah. like good shoes like like I'm not Mr. Stylish yeah. but I, I take pride in my appearance and it's about it's not really about I, I'm not like it's not fashion but it's style and What's I think 15 that, Kings? So 15 rugby? Kings is kind of like 15 rugby yeah, players yeah. and I don't know, Kings, it just yeah, kind of yeah. seemed to work at yeah. the time. And you're wearing one there, actually. This is yeah, it, yeah. yeah. No, I've asked your head to toe in it. So it's, it's been great. And like when we started, like we are competing with Tommy Hilfiger, Super Dry, um, Gant, like huge mm. worldwide brands. And we're in like 240 or so independent stores around the country. We're 10 years in, and, and particularly an Irish brand to make it to 10 years right. in clothing and still be cool, yeah. somewhat cool, yeah. somewhat like that people want to be a part of it, want to, to invest in it, is yeah. uh, amazing. And, and Ireland AM helps that. Uh, Leo Varadkar's on the line, say hello. Oh, thank goodness, right, it's been a while. <laughs> That's right, Tommy. Um... I can't say I really enjoyed our last chat, but uh, you certainly put me in my... Uh, in my box. Ah, listen, uh, we can put those things behind no, us. No, absolutely, uh, yeah. That's why I'm asking you. Uh, you know, you're a person with a lot of ambition, <laughs> personal ambition. Uh, you played for Ireland. You like to don the Irish jersey. Uh, I'm just wondering, uh, what about it? Consider joining uh, Fine Gael, Tommy Bow TD, Minister Tommy Bow. What do you think? Oh, my God. Sammy Sausages, Alan Hughes, your good mate, would never forgive me if I joined on that side. So, uh, no, I think, listen, Leo, um, <laughs> I think I prefer uh, being on the guy asking the questions on, on that side of things. Absolutely no way. Never. No chance. President Bo? I wouldn't, I wouldn't fancy, I'd, I wouldn't mind a big house out in the Auras, actually. Uthgarod Bo? Oh, my goodness, that wouldn't be bad, well, would it? Tell you what. You know the Draco's got to go for it anyway, so. And plenty of rooms for my ten siblings. Yeah, well, himself, yeah, <laughs> siblings, yeah. himself and Hoobs in the uh, Auras, I think, yeah. They are guaranteed to be the next. Absolutely, 2042. I mean, listen, the king and queen of Ireland. Well, that's it, yeah, yeah. Um, so, no, the answer is no, is it? Uh, uh, listen, uh, uh, thank you for the offer, um... Look forward to seeing you on the couch in Ireland then soon. See you on the couch. Well done, Leo. Thank you. That was that was good. Of course, Thanks, you, Leo. You, you grilled Leo famously on the couch as well for the housing. I uh, well, yeah. I we get. I mean, we had Mary Lou McDonald on the day before. I actually thought we were myself and Warren were even better with her. But again, shows the powers of social media with something clipped up. Yeah. That, uh, and yes. Uh, 
interviewing a politician, it's very hard to try and get something true, and get a bit it? of purchase out of mm. it. And um, it was only the fact that we had Philly McMahon on the day before, mm. whose brother died from homelessness that it was really resonant in our mind at the time and I was able to put it to Leo at the time and yeah he obviously you know I think that a lot of people come on to Ireland um, and think Asher it's a rugby player and Warren like sure they're like we'd be grand we'll have a cup of coffee and I utterly and, disagree and with you and you know why I disagree with you you see this is the last place where the politician etc will expect exactly that something like that can happen and that's the first place it happens they're ready for it all on prime time big time Big time. And uh, listen, a lot of politicians would say to us that that is the power of going on Ireland M because they'll go into the local butchers or the bakers and very few of them will say, oh, I saw you on the Tonight Show there the other night. But they'll all say, oh, I saw you on Ireland M. Fair play to you. Or, you know, that was a tough one. You know, so I think that actually Ireland M... You know, we do have the, the lighter moments and have a bit of crack, but actually the seven to eight hours is my favourite part of the show now because that's the bit where you need to be on the ball mm. and, uh, and and particularly when somebody like a, a minister comes on because that's your... We are forever reading out text messages from viewers who are either fed up about whatever it could be, the hospital service, could be about the Garda situation, could be anything. And it is my role and Warren's role or Alan's role to try and put those queries and frustrations onto the, the government and the people who make the decisions and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't Tommy listen it's been absolute pleasure having you on the show you're very you're great energy thank you and um, and I, I can see I can see because of your your whole attitude of go on get into your get out of your comfort zone I love I, it. I, I can see that we're going to be hearing a lot more about you in all different respects maybe not President Bo uh, or maybe not <laughs> Minister so. Tommy Bo but <laughs> things are going to happen because you're going to make them happen it's been lovely meeting you again and uh, thanks for so much for coming Absolute on the podcast. Absolute pleasure, Mario. Thank you. And that's it from the Mario Rosenstock podcast for this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Tommy Bow for dropping in. Um, if you like the podcast, just tell one other person about it. And if you want to get in touch with me personally, about anything, tips for comedy, suggestions for guests, guests, constructive criticism, or just old-fashioned back-slapping compliments, I am ready to hear it all. It's mariorosenstock at gmail.com. I'll see you the same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.